Now, if that isn't a greatly welcome, I don't know what is. <laughs> hey, good morning, Bethesda. Praise the Lord. I am glad to be here, and I hope that you are as well. Our pastors, Pastor Pat and Julie, are in, oh, uh, let's see, not Ohio. They are in Batesville, Indiana this morning, and so they have asked me to step in and preach and um, not that I want them to be gone, but I'm glad they're gone so that I can speak, you know, so this is awesome. Uh, but Pastor Pat and Julie, we're praying for you. Uh, they're probably speaking right now. So we want to remember them. Hey, would you bow your heads? Let's just pray as we open up God's word today. Father, we just come before you today and we're so thankful for this day. We're thankful that this is the day that you've made and we are rejoicing and we're glad in it, oh Lord, no matter what. Each and every person is bringing here to this room, God, whether it's a burden or whether it's a praise, Lord, we come before you today and we are uh, eager, Lord, to open up your word and we just pray and ask that your spirit would meet us as we do that. Lord, every time that we open up this book, Lord, you speak and, and we're excited to see what you can do today. And so, God, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 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 Well, Jesus is Lord. Amen? Amen. All right. That's it. <laughs> Amen. Amen. There's a scripture that said in Philippians chapter 2 that says this, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I know that's kind of the end of the story for those of us who are believers in Jesus. But not everyone is convinced, we'll say, around the world. Not everyone is convinced that Jesus is Lord. And at no time in history has everyone been convinced that Jesus is Lord. So we got to ask the question, why? What, what's the problem? What does the word Lord mean? And why is this so difficult for people to accept? Well, really, just from a simple dictionary definition, Lord means someone or someone who's having power, authority, or influence, right? A master or a ruler. That's what it means to call Jesus Lord. You're the boss. You're the master. And so to us here in 21st century America, Lord is really only a religious word, right? How many people grew up in a home where they had to call their father Lord, right? Probably none of us. If anybody did, they probably didn't raise their hand because, yeah, it was kind of a weird home, but, <laughs> right? No, we don't call our fathers Lord, right? This is kind of a, a religious or an or a ancient word. But in the, in the New Testament times, right, people would call uh, the, the, the master of the house the Lord, and there were lords upon lords upon lords. And the Lord of all, the Lord of the Roman Empire was in fact Caesar, right? The very emperor of Rome. And so to, for Christians to declare that anybody else was Lord besides Caesar, well, there's big problems, right? There can only be one Lord in town and, and, and Caesar thought that was him, right? But once upon a time, this man named Jesus came to the scene 
And once upon a, in the, in the future time, right, all will call him Lord. So I want to, I want to talk to you today and I want to show you today that calling Jesus Lord has always been and will continue to be a problem in this world. Until Philippians chapter two happens and every single knee and every single tongue confesses that Jesus Lord, there's going to be problems, right? It's nothing new. It's happened for 2000 years so far. And so we're going to be in the book of Hebrews. We'll be in chapter 10. If you have your Bibles and want to join me there, Hebrews chapter 10, uh, the writer of Hebrews is going to tell Christians How are we supposed to respond in the face of persecution? And so we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. And I'm going to be reading out of uh, the NIV version today, Hebrews chapter 10. Hopefully you're there. We'll start in verse 32. They say this. Remember those earlier days after you received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, and at other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And but my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. Right, so the author of Hebrews is writing to early Christians at the time, and he's saying, yeah, the suffering is pretty bad, isn't it? (laughs) And boy, was it ever, right? Sometimes Christians themselves were being persecuted all around the world, and at other times, maybe they weren't the ones being persecuted, but they knew somebody else who was being persecuted. And sometimes their property was stolen from them. Sometimes they were put in prison. And sometimes their lives were taken from them, which is why all the way through the New Testament, Paul continues to write, pray for us. We're in prison, right? As I'm writing this, I got shackles around my ankles. I got handcuffs. Somebody else is doing the writing because I can't even write, right? Pray for us while we are in prison. And And the writer of Hebrews, whoever that was, is writing this, don't give up. Don't throw away your confidence. You're not striving for nothing. It's not for nothing at all. In fact, God will reward those who persevere. And he says, you know what? He's not, God is not interested in Christians who when a enemy comes towards them, they shrink back, right? We're not looking for a shrink back type of Christians. We're looking for Christians who will persevere no matter what comes our way. And I hope that represented in this room, we have a bunch of strong believers that no matter what the devil throws at you, you're not willing to run away and shrink back and run the other way, right? I hope that you stand there strong with the power of God behind you, right? And so here's our outline for today. First, persevere. Second, pray, okay? First, persevere. Second, 
pray. And so really from verse 36, the writer tells them, you need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what you have been promised. And so we're talking about persecution. Today is the international day of prayer for the persecuted church, right? This is something that we like to do every year because it's not often in our minds that we're reminded that people all around the country and every, basically every other continent besides our own and including our own, people are suffering physically, right? Jail time, uh, those types of things to be a Christian, right? And so today we are going to remember I want to tell you a story of my, my ancient friend, Polycarp. Uh, he lived about 1,900 years ago, right? Polycarp was a man who was born as a slave, but then was adopted out of slavery. He was discipled by none other than the very John who was discipled by Jesus. We're talking about the disciple who Jesus loved, that John, and then he was later uh, discipled by a man named Ignatius of Antioch. Now, a- Antioch was a city where disciples were first called Christians, right? This is a really cool city. The first time people have ever been called Christians, probably kind of as an insult, but hey, we ran with it because it's an awesome name, right? Little Christ. And so Ignatius, he's telling this young Polycarp, hey, things are gonna be bad, but you know what? Here's what he said. You have enrolled into the militia of Christ, the army that sheds no blood. So let your baptism endure as your arms, your faith as your helmet, your love as your spear, and your patience as your full suit of armor. What a compelling charge to a young man named Polycarp from a guy named Ignatius. And so filled up with passion, Polycarp enrolled into the militia of Christ. He starts fighting his own battle against the time, uh, the Roman Empire. And he starts, he starts uh, the army of Christ. And he starts doing things that are contrary to what the Roman Empire taught them to do. You know what he does? He decides, you know what? I was adopted as a slave as well. And so I'm going to buy slaves and adopt them as children. And so this mini militia starts because Polycarp and his people are buying slaves and calling them children. He loved his own daughters rather than abusing them like others would have. He's taught his sons that Jesus is Lord rather than Caesar is Lord. And he fought against like major heresies in the early church before this Bible was really put together, right? We have, Polycarp is one of those to think that we have a solid word of God. And now at 86 years old, right, he's been arrested to be be executed by the Roman Empire. They're done with this militia that he has started. And so the story goes, as Polycarp was tied to the stake, about to be burned, He was forced to either deny Jesus or die. And so Polycarp says this as he's bound to the the stake. He says, 80 and six years have I served Christ and he has never done me any harm. How then could I blaspheme my king who has saved me? And he looks up to heaven and says this, I bless you for counting me worthy of this day and hour that I may be among your martyrs and drink the cup of my Lord, my Lord, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Right in the face of those Roman persecutors, executors, hey, my Lord is Jesus Christ. 
And that was a death sentence, right? So the Romans, they go up and they try, they light the fire. And as the fire starts to burn around Polycarp, they notice that he's not burning at all. And in fact, it doesn't smell like what a person should smell like as they're burning. Everyone starts to take a sniff. No, it smells like myrrh. It smells like perfume. Right, and a beautiful scent starts coming from around Polycarp. And this man never burns, just like his predecessor, John the Apostle. He never burns. And so the Roman Empire takes a sword and thrusts it through. And that day, Polycarp went to be with his Lord. Right, he calls Jesus Lord, and that was the end of his life. And so This is not unusual, right? This has happened all the way throughout history. And maybe you think, oh, that's an old story. Polycarp died like like 1,900 years ago. Those things don't happen. Well, I want to update you what's happening around the world. There's an organization called Open Doors USA, which tracks really the difficulty of being a Christian all the way around the world. Open Doors tells us this. Since COVID, we got an update since COVID. While Islamic extremism continues to create the most persecution, Open Doors noticed that COVID-19 restrictions have actually become an easy way to tighten the grip on churches and worship services, especially in China. Uh, researchers found that persecution is inc- increasingly displacing Christians from their communities, right? And, and in China and in Afghanistan, especially, and in Myanmar, uh, there's refugees in other nations. So every day, get this, 13 Christians worldwide are killed for their faith. 13 every day. Every day, 12 churches or Christian buildings are burned down or attacked. Every day, 12 more Christians are arrested or imprisoned and another five are abducted, right? That doesn't take long to add up, right? So every year, the World Watch List puts together this list of the top 50 nations where it's the hardest places to be a Christian. And so the... Uh, The CEO, his name is David Curry. He says this, you might think the list that we put together is all about oppression, but the list is really about resilience. The number of God's people who are suffering should mean that the church is dying, that Christians are keeping quiet. They're starting to lose their faith and turning away from one another. But that's not what's happening. Instead, in living color, we see the words of God Recorded in the prophet Isaiah, I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Isn't that amazing, church, right? 12 Christians every single day are being kidnapped. 13 more are being killed. 12 buildings are being destroyed. And you know what's not happening? The church is not shrinking. The church is not shrinking no matter what persecution, no matter where the persecution is happening. The church is only getting stronger. The church is only getting stronger all the way through, right? Right, and and so ancient and modern, Christians have been persecuted. They continue to be persecuted all around the world. It looks different in different countries. And so maybe even uh, us in the US, right? We don't have maybe persecution. Maybe you don't know 12 people a day in your circle that are being kidnapped and imprisoned and killed. We might face persecution maybe a slightly different way, And so if you believe, if if there's a persecution that's happening to you, even if it looks different than that, what does the writer of Hebrews tell us to do? Persevere, right? Don't be a Christian that shrinks back from it, right? This life is temporary, right? The kingdom that we're living for is 
eternal, right? Your reward is coming. And so maybe some of you are facing persecution as a, in a different way. And maybe, <laughs> maybe some others are thinking, man, uh, you know, those stats are very concerning, um, but I don't necessarily face that. You know, I, I attend Bethesda. People treat me pretty well here, I would say. Um, I go to work and things aren't so bad there either. Um, I don't really have this persecution happening in my life. If that's you, great. Here's the second part of the charge, right? If you're not the one facing the persecution, here's what verse 33, remember, I want to remind you what verse 33 says. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. And at other times you stood side by side with those who were being so treated. And I think I might be taking a little bit of a liberty, but by standing with those who are being persecuted, I think the very best way that we can do that is to pray. Do we get tired of praying? <laughs> are you guys tired of every Sunday we come up here with needs and we read them off and we pray? Is that exhausting to us? Or is that something that we recognize, we step back and saying, man, we have an opportunity to bring needs before God, right? No longer do we have to go through a priest and a temple to get to God. Rather, that ever since that day that veil was torn, you and I can call out to the very throne room of God, right? I hope we're not tired of praying. I hope we're not shrinking back thinking, I don't know if this really does anything anymore. If it does, I want to inspire you today. Here's some stories of what's happening across the world. Uh, Bethesda has some friends. We got friends all over the world. And we have specific missionary friends who are uh, working in Eastern Africa. If you've ever been to Eastern Africa, well, it's not necessarily a place that Christians are openly welcome, I would say, right? This is one of the most difficult places in the world to be a Christian. Um, at, in, in some of these countries, right, Muslims are like 99.9% .9 of the entire country. And that doesn't necessarily mean that everyone there believes in Allah and Muhammad and, and follows that, but it means that 99.9% .9 of uh, people in those countries wouldn't dare <laughs> believe in another God because that means your life is at stake. And so these missionaries, they're, they're, they're spreading the gospel probably uh, very uh, covertly, but yet boldly. They're sharing the gospel and people are becoming a Christian. But if you know anything about uh, a, a Muslim converting to Christianity, there's a problem, right? When a Muslim converts, the family either generally disowns them or kills them. It's kind of your two options uh, if you're a converted Muslim. However, listen to what the missionaries are telling us that God does when these missionaries are praying. You guys, you guys are with me, right? People are becoming Christians in Muslim families. Here's what happens uh, when they become Christians and their families are coming for them because they're praying. Listen to this. Within a span of the last couple of months, our brothers have now been, have, have been taken several times by their families who are not happy with them for their decisions to follow Christ and their steadfastness in trying to bring others to the truth of Jesus, right? Not only are these brothers hearing about Jesus and following Jesus, but they're trying to do the same thing. We're talking about disciples who make disciples, we're talking about disciple cycles. I heard that in a song. I think it's good. So these guys all live together and help each other out as they are able. So the brothers go willingly and peacefully when their families come for them as the spirit leads in order to share their faith 
with the families whom they love and who are trying to kill them. So our team members ask for prayers when these abductions happen, and, and many have prayed. So listen to what happens, right? I'm going to tell you two stories, right? God has used a variety, a variety of miraculous in- interventions to help the brothers out of dire situations and to show his glory, right? How many know that God can keep creating new ways, right? He does it all the way through the Bible, and you're like reading a story like, wow, I didn't even know that was an option. Oh, yeah, here's two more. On the beach in the middle of the night, one family comes for the, their converted son. In the middle of the night, while waiting for a boat to take them out to sea to be drowned, right? This man's going to the middle of the sea to be drowned. Two brothers witness their family get swarmed by heaven-sent bees, enabling our brothers to get away without a single bee stings on themselves, right? And our missionary friend says, get them, Lord. All right, everyone say, get them, Lord. Okay, what else? All right, what else is going to happen? Okay, another guy gets taken out to the middle of the sea. Anybody want to predict how's God going to save this guy? Right? Was it bees? No, not this time. John's family dropped him off in the middle of the ocean channel to die in the middle of the night. He was alone swimming around at night in the dark. And eventually, he sees a light. And it was a fisherman on a boat. Of course, they had to finish their night's work. So John had the entire night to witness to them. Get him, Lord. <laughs> right? Isn't that amazing, right? Oh, you're going to go out to the beach? Boom. Where's the swarm of bees come from on the beach? Where does that come from? Right? Last time I checked, bird, uh, bees' nests are like in gutters, right? At least my gutters. And, and they're in trees. Where in the world do bees come from on the beach? And how in the world, in the middle of the night, <laughs> did anybody see a man swimming? And you know what? The rest of the night, this guy has time to witness to them. Get him, Lord. I love it, right? And these two stories have happened. And and we're not talking about 2005, 2010. We're talking about the last two months. This is what's happening in Eastern Africa, right? How hard is it to, to go kidnap the son and kill him, right? It happens all the time. It doesn't seem that difficult. But when Christians begin to pray, right, you never know what avenue God is going to use to disturb that process. Uh, look what happens in, in when Christians pray. And, and I want to get this out of our vocabulary, if you will, right? Sometimes we say, hey, prayer works. And I want to I push back on that and say that, you know what? I don't think prayer does work. I don't think it works at all because what is prayer? You know what I think happens? God works when we pray. I think there's a difference, right? This thing called prayer doesn't do anything, but this guy called God, this father called God, he's the one that works when we pray. And so if you're just talking to the ceiling or something, that's not going to do anything. That's not prayer, right? Prayer is talking with almighty God who can send bees, who can send fishermen, who can send anything he desires to save, right? That's our God. And that's what happens when we pray, right? My friends, the gates of hell shall not prevail, even if there's more gates on the beach than Christians, right? They'll never, ever prevail. Somebody should tell the devil he's fighting a losing battle, right? Somebody should tell him. (laughs) Get him, Lord. Get him, Lord. Right? He's losing. He's fighting a losing battle. Somebody should just tell him, give it up, man. Give it up. You know what happens when Christians live? Great. The the, the gospel is going to continue to spread. Hey, if Christians are killed, and they do, it does happen. Great. You know what Tertullian says? Another church father? The blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. 
Every time a, a, a martyr's blood is spilled out, it is like all of a sudden a jungle just grew up because man, oh man, every time that the persecution starts to come on the church, somehow, some way, something starts to grow. That doesn't make any sense. And should Christians suffer? Great. God will be glorified in our suffering. Are we mature enough in our faith at this point in our lives to be able to look in the face of suffering and say, you know what? It doesn't make sense, but God is still good in that, right? Even if I have to suffer, hey, this is not my world. This is not my kingdom, right? This is God's world and I'm just living in it, right? The gates of hell will never prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. And so simply church, today I've made you aware of the suffering that's around the world, both that's happened Long time ago, and the stuff that's happening is as uh, recent as August in Eastern Africa. But I want to say to you that my job and my goal today is not to make you aware. Because, and this is, a, this is a buzzword that we use, awareness month. The reason that I don't want you to be only aware is because, well, there's a, there's a children's hospital in Chicago uh, that makes awareness month. And, and just simply in the month of November... This Children's Hospital of Chicago says November is Lung Cancer Awareness Month, National Epilepsy Awareness Month, National Stomach Cancer Awareness Month, Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month, Prematurity Awareness Month. Okay, and there was like 10 more that I'd cut out because I think we get the point by now, right? Uh, there are many diseases that are we're making aware. What was last, last month, right? Breast Cancer Awareness Month. We see football players running around with pink socks. Okay, we're aware. Awesome. But my question to you today is, is what does awareness do? Right? It, hel it helps us learn about it and know about it. And in a certain, I'm, not, I'm not critiquing the, the hospitals that are making awareness months and knowing about uh, different um, diseases and things like that. The problem is, we can be aware of all of these things, yet none of them can be prevented by awareness, right? Just because I'm aware that stomach cancer is a thing does not mean that I can prevent stomach cancer from forming within my body, right? And just because I can get tests early and, and maybe save our life sooner, which is awesome, that doesn't necessarily prevent things, right? Awareness doesn't necessarily cure anything, right? All it can do is inform. It might catch early, but it cannot heal. And so it's, instead of awareness, instead of uh, making sure that we're aware that the church is suffering around the world, um, I'm creating a new word. Ready? I hope you're with me. Instead of awareness, I want to encourage prayerness, okay? Not awareness, but prayerness. Can everyone say prayerness? Okay, cool. You're with me. All right, this is a state of being prayerful. Maybe I'm making up a new word, um, but it's awesome. We're going to do that today. Ready? I want to tell you, awareness informs, but prayerness fights back, okay? Awareness enlightens, but prayerness encounters. Awareness conveys information, but prayerness combats an enemy. Awareness is helpful. Prayerness is life-changing. Awareness tells man, but prayerness asks God. And lastly, awareness calls upon the creation Prayerness calls upon the creator, all right? And that's my little awareness versus prayerness poem. And I hope it pumps you up even a little bit. But my goal here today is not to make you aware of the church because who cares if you're aware? My goal is to call you to prayer, all right? And pray and persevere in that face 
of persecution. And so uh, on the screen, we're going to have some slides today. Uh, The last thing I want to do is encourage you to pray and then say, you're dismissed. Let's go. Golden Corral, here we come. The last thing I want to do is dismiss you after talking about prayer. Let's instead, let's pray. And so we got some screens behind me. You can see on the screen, right? Find yourself, right? Somewhere, there are seven sections here in this sanctuary. And so I'm pretty sure I don't have to explain this, right? You guys are getting what's happening. Hey, uh, section, uh, section one, you guys are way over there. You guys are praying for those three countries, right? Section seven, you guys way over there. Uh, you guys are praying for East Asia. And so it's kind of on the map, right? East Asia and, and Central Asia. You guys get it, right? This is not rocket science. But simply, I want to take, I'm going to literally stop talking eventually here, okay? And we are going to pray. And, and I want you guys, uh, let's ask the church to, to pray with somebody, right? If, if you got a family Pray with your family. If you're sitting by yourself, maybe scoot over and find somebody else who's sitting by themselves. But if you're in a certain section, please, why don't we raise our voices to God and and pretend and and believe that prayerness does something, right? Because God does something when we pray. And so who knows if our prayers might not send another bee storm, right? Who knows if our prayers might not send a, a certain fisherman to save that one man swimming in the ocean, and because of that, like those, all those fishermen hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We never know what God can do, and we never know what he can do when we pray. So let, let's just take a few minutes. Seriously, let, let's call out to the Lord. You'll see on the side screen the ways to pray for the persecuted church, and uh, uh, let's do that. So let's pray. Pray with somebody around you for these countries. Let's call them out by name.
Father, we just pray over all these nations, Lord, as each one has been spoken out to you. God, we just pray, Lord, that though there's difficulty and persecution against the church and against the believers, oh, Lord, that you would raise them up, Lord, that they would be bold ambassadors of Christ. Lord, I pray for those who just received the word of God, the, the, the gospel of Jesus for the very first time. And Lord, they're wondering, how am I supposed to go about doing this? Uh, Lord, I pray that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit in, a, in an amazing and a miraculous way. Lord, they would have the boldness to go out just as those early believers and, and disciples did. Lord, they didn't know what they're doing, but Lord, you gave them the words to say. And Lord, I pray that no matter how hot, how hot the fire gets all the way around the world, Lord, that you would not abandon those places. Lord, that though Christians run for their lives, Lord, that it would never be true about any country in this world that there is not a Christian left who can share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. Lord, you say that the work, the, the harvest is ripe, but the workers are few. And so, Lord, we pray that there would be workers to each and every one of these places. Lord, maybe they're unlikely, but Lord, you can empower and, and strengthen uh, people to go. God, we thank you for the place that we live in. And, and Lord, any persecution that comes against us, Lord, if it's policy or if it's uh, insults, Lord, you say that we're blessed when people persecute us. And so, Lord, we live for you. God, give us the strength to also be bold in our faith in the places that we are. We love you, oh, Lord Jesus. Lord, until that day we see you face to face, Lord, embolden us to speak the truth of Jesus Christ everywhere that we go. In your name, amen. Thank you for praying, church. I truly believe that God does hear our prayers, and I hope that you do too. We, we have no idea if there's a swarm of, I don't know, uh, locusts flying somewhere that's going to torment somebody because God sent them. Right, you heard the prayers of his people. Hallelujah. One of the coolest things about being part of the church the church of Jesus Christ is, is through a simple meal. We join with the saints of old. They've been doing this for 2000 years. We join with saints of old, but also saints all across the entire world, right? Saints in Asia and in Africa and in Australia and in Europe and South America. Maybe there's a Christian in Antarctica. We don't know. But we sit down at the same meal. We celebrate the same Lord, Jesus Christ today. And so Hey, if you have your communion elements, uh, please grab them now. And so I want to read to you uh, what Paul says as we approach the Lord's Supper. He says this, I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, <laughs> on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and whenever you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what we're doing this morning, right? With saints all over the world, we're proclaiming the Lord's death. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. So everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. And so we're gonna pause there. And I just wanna give you just a, a, a little bit of time to please examine yourself as we approach uh, this very sacred and uh, holy meal.
So why don't we take the bread and let's pray over and bless the bread this morning. Father, we raise this bread today, this, this bread that you have given us today, Lord God. We are at this very moment remembering and proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. Until Jesus comes back, God, we are going to be remembering this same Jesus, this same Lord who fought against the Roman Empire, but it didn't look like how we thought. Lord, he gave his life, Lord, that we might have eternal life. And Lord God, today we thank you for this body, this bread that represents uh, Jesus. Lord, taking that punishment that we deserve. Lord, thank you that he went on the cross so that we wouldn't have to. Lord, thank you that they, the wrath of God that had to be poured out, Lord, was poured out on Jesus, that you might look upon us who at one point were sinners and now you call us saints because of this sacrifice. Oh, Lord, we thank you for the body that was given for us by Jesus and we bless it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's raise the cup. God, we thank you for the cup. Father, we thank you for this cup that, that gives us a picture of the blood that was spilled out on Calvary for our forgiveness of sins. Lord, we thank you that we're not uh, sacrificing animals and going to priests and temples that our, our sins might be covered. But Lord, that we go to Jesus and his blood washes us white as snow. Lord, no matter how much we've done, Lord, you say that your forgiveness is enough, that Jesus's blood is enough because there's power in the blood. And Lord, we thank you for the blood that was spilled out by Jesus, that we might have not only new life and the, uh, the punishment would be absorbed, but Lord, that we would have the very forgiveness of sins that would be washed clean. We thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us. We pray and we bless this bread in the name, or this cup in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hey, the last thing that I want to say as we leave today, I think sometimes we hear this information about other countries and maybe some of us kind of feel a little bit guilty, <laughs> right? We either think that we have it too easy or uh, unless we're running for our lives or in jail, we're doing something wrong. And I, I read a really... Uh, disturbing thing recently that said that this, there's a comment that says it's a, there's, there was a video about how children were killed in Afghanistan because of uh, being Christians. And it, the comment said, it's amazing. We have no idea what it really means to serve Jesus in America. And as I read that comment, I found myself very unsettled. I want to say to you, Bethesda Christian Church, that we do have an idea we do have an idea of what it looks like to serve Jesus, right? Just because we're not in jail, just because we're not running for our lives, doesn't mean we don't know what it looks like to serve Jesus, right? There might be people in other places that have uh, to go through things that are much more difficult than us. And to that, I would say, thank you, Jesus, that we don't have to. Yet at the same time, I wanna encourage you, uh, Bethesda and America, right? American Christians, we're not on the sideline. We are not on the sideline. We do know what it looks like to serve Jesus, right? It is to love, to follow, to know Jesus, and that's what we do, right? We know we are just as much in the fight as those who are in prison, all right? And so in, instead of dismissing ourselves and feeling guilty that we're not in the fight, instead, join the fight. 
Join the fight by sharing the good news and getting into prayer for those who don't have it so easy. Amen. Are you with me, church, on that? Right? We, we do know what it looks like. We do know what it looks like. All right. Amen. This is from Jude. This is from Jude. It says, to him, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Be blessed, church, as you go today and make it a day of battle and prayer for this church. And as always, if you need prayer, please come up down, come down to the front and we'll have elders that will be glad to pray with you and for you today. God bless you as you go today.